0: You look back on your life. How would you evaluate it? That's what the Paul is doing with Timothy in our text. We're looking at Second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight. Before we read the text, I want us to pray. Okay. Let's pray, dear Father. Thank you so much for your mercy and grace. Thank you for the words of that song. Uh, It always touches my heart. I really appreciate um, the fact that you're holy. That's what makes you fearful, and uh, the fact that we are not means that if something drastic doesn't happen, we will be forever lost. And yet you have undertaken to provide a sacrifice, a substitute for us on the cross, that we might live with you, and be used of you, and have a relationship with the Holy God of Scripture. Thank you for that. Thank you for this time. Ask your blessing upon this this study as we. We kind of look over Timothy's shoulder to see this letter coming to him from the apostle and to see the apostle Paul looking back over his life and giving us a kind of a review of how he summed it up. I ask your blessing upon this time, I pray, and upon the word that uh, is studied, I pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Well, the apostle... Paul writes these words, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 6 through 8. Paul is in the prison there and he is uh, chained. He is suffering um, probably from exposure to some degree and malnutrition and he knows that the time is coming when he's not going to be here. The end is in sight and he is particularly concerned for two things. He's concerned for the church at Ephesus and he's concerned for the young man that he has been discipling, Timothy, who has left at the church to kind of uh yeah. leave yeah. The church and give direction as a pastor to that church. Are you there? Yeah. I am. And Let's see. He is uh so he's writing Timothy about I think I'm. this is this is important for him. So um Let's see. started the text last night. Yeah time. I can hear I think. I think I can hear him. Yeah, I think I can hear him. All right, Matt, go ahead and close out your phone there. Are you there? Yes. Get rid of the phone call. All right, are we done? okay all right thank you matt um so we started out in the text paul says i am already being poured out as a drink offering the time of my departure has come he's looking around at the circumstances he sees the circumstances he knows the season of his departure is at there and uh so he's he's aware of that and he's concerned about that and so he's this is causing him now to begin to look back on his life and evaluate his life and so he describes himself as a, as a drink offering being poured out, his death, which is a way of saying that this is a valuable life and is being uh, lavishly poured out as a sacrifice to Christ. He was not a prisoner of Rome as much as he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. and He's there for his faith in Christ. And so we looked at the circumstances. We saw Paul looking around at the situation that he was in. And that caused him then to look back on his past. And that is uh, sort of what we find ourselves as he reflects back on his life. There are three, as he looks back, there are three, there's a there's kind of a three um, picture, I guess you could say, three illustrations that he sees as he looks back on his life. First, he sees himself as a fighter. I have fought a good fight. That would be an Olympic struggle competition. Second, he sees himself as a runner. I have finished the course. And third, he sees himself as a soldier I have guarded or kept faith. Those three things. And so let's let's look at those. We started on the first one, and so I won't be spending much time on it when he says there that I have fought a good fight, that idea of fighting a good fight. Two words in that text, fight and fall. Both of them are terms that are used in the athletic competitions. And Paul uses that kind of that kind of language as he describes his life. And I have competed that, I have had that struggle is what he's saying. And so he holds himself up as one who has struggled, has fought a good fight. Good has to do with an attractive fight, an attractive battle. So that Paul is is saying that his life has been a struggle, has been a a, a warfare, if you will, uh, with the flesh, with the world, with the devil, um, against those who are in opposition, but that his his life has been uh, exemplary, that it has been um, a life that is worth looking at and emulating, and uh, that he has had that warfare, he's had that battle, and he has successfully uh, done that, which is something that we could ask ourselves the question as well. Is our because the Christian life is a warfare, it is a battle, it is a struggle. Do we struggle, is our battle a, A good struggle a successful struggle a struggle warfare a competition with the flesh the world the devil that is worth emulating does our life give us a picture of that that quality um if we looked at your life we looked in my life how would we evaluate it you know there there the two people when i was going over this this morning that came to mind when i think of two people that really stand out to me whose life is worth emulating. One is Warner and another is Paul Teasdale. Both of them are men of God. Both of them have walked close to the Lord. They have, uh, they, their life exemplary is exemplary in the sense that it's worth emulating. Um, none of them started out as giants, but in their process of growth and maturity while they made mistakes and they've done things that are kind of stupid, they've made good progress and they've walked faithfully with the Lord, and I just don't know anybody, any two people that I enjoy being around, both of those guys and the example and the depth of their life, and their commitment. And it's just a, it's a, it's a real privilege to know people like that. And Paul is saying, I fought a good fight. My life is a life that, though it was filled with battles. And do we know that? We know that we do battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, we know that Paul talks about the weapons of our of warfare are not carnal. We understand that. We know that uh, we're told, Paul said, we take up the full armor of God and that there is a warfare going on. Paul said, I've looked at my life, I fought a good fight. That's the first part, <coughs> I'm gonna leave that because I wanna get to the rest of these and if I'm not careful, I'm gonna use up all my time on that. So the second thing, after Paul looks at his life in, in so far as a, as a wrestler or an uh, <coughs> athletic competition, He looks at his life also from the standpoint of being maybe a runner. He said, I have finished the course. The word course there, dramas, refers to a racetrack or a course. Um, It speaks of the pathway, if you will, that you would run when you do run uh, in the competition. That kind of idea is found in Acts 20 um, Paul writes in Acts chapter 20 that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me. This is when Paul is finishing up his third missionary journey. He's going back to Jerusalem, and uh, he's going back to to um, kind of touch base with the church. And eventually, he's going to be making his fourth missionary journey. But his fourth missionary journey is going to be as a prisoner. He's going back to Jerusalem. And as he's going back to Jerusalem, he stops by all these different cities and towns and churches, which in a way tells us, gives us a good picture uh, of how successful the gospel was, doesn't it? That that soon after the cross, after the day of Pentecost, wasn't too long that churches began to pop up in other places and there were congregations of believers. Paul goes back and touches base with them as he's going back to Jerusalem, and he says this, he says, The Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Now what he means by that is not so much that the Holy Spirit has been communicating to him as he walked into the church, but that these early churches, one of the gifts that was functioning in the early church, and I don't think it's functioning today like it was then, is the gift of prophecy where a believer would receive a message from the Lord as a counsel, and that he would stand up and say this, is what's going on, and so on and so forth. And so Paul said in every church I went into, the, the spirit was telling the the, the oh they had the, the believer that had the prophecy that the bonds and afflictions await you in Jerusalem. And Paul says that um, he said, Stop telling me this. I don't consider my life as an account here for myself. What I want to do is I want to finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord. And that that gives a picture here. Paul saw his life in a double aspect. First there was a course not a racetrack only but a pathway that he was to follow and a ministry that he was to pursue and he said I want to finish that. I want to go down that path. I want to finish that course. And I think of um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and 10 for by grace you are saved through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We like those two verses there because they tell us that we're saved by grace through faith. But then the next verse tells us that we have good works that God has ordained for us. He says, for we are his workmanship, or we are his creation. We are God's creation. We, believers, are God's creation. We are created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works. And those good works are not just somewhere scattered out there, but they are good works that he has ordained ahead of time for us to walk in them. So he's, he has already set a path for us, a path of good works, and a path, of act, a path of ministry that we should follow in that. And so we want to be in touch with the captain so that we can follow the good works and follow the path and follow the course that he has for us Uh, in ministry, it's very important. That's kind of what the writer of the Hebrews was talking about in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, Paul writes, or this wasn't Paul, but the author of the Hebrews writes, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So here's the same kind of thing, the writer is saying to the to the reader we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses and what is this great cloud of witnesses well if you back up to chapter 11 what's in chapter 11 it's the heroes of faith isn't it? it's that hall of fame of faith where it, it, over and over again it talks about faith joseph by faith moses by faith abraham did all of these things by faith and now the writer is saying therefore at the beginning of chapter 12 therefore since we are surrounded by this great cloud of, I like to use the phrase testimony bearers, because that's what these people have been doing, these testimony bearers. Um, we're surrounded by this great cloud of testimony bearers. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And just stop there for a moment. Don't miss this. He's, he's telling us as believers, in chapter 12, that just as we have seen this group of believers in chapter 11, these heroes of faith, and we'll pick on Noah for a minute. Noah built an ark, that's a pretty significant thing. Let us, as he exercised faith in doing that, let us, just like he did, lay aside these encumbrances and weights, and let us run with endurance. Now, don't miss the fact that he's put us both on the same level. It's not like that we look at Noah, and we see Noah, a giant, and he was giant believer, and we are down here as as little struggles uh, laymen that we don't have anything to offer. we are both on the same level, we have the faith, and whatever course and race God has designed for us, let us do it just like they did. I think that's pretty significant that that he holds us up to that same level, so that we don't have we don't have two classes of Christians, it's just that the bar has been set pretty high, and we want to be faithful in that, in that picture. So he says, we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Now I don't know what encumbrances you have particularly, but television is probably a big encumbrance, entertainment is probably a big encumbrance. Uh, I, I, one of the prayer requests that I have all the time is I'm asking people to pray for my use of time. Because I struggle with that. Because if I'm home alone like that, there's, first of all, i got five little encumbrances running around that are furry. <laughs> and they just always demand attention. I was on the laptop yesterday uh, trying to, what was that I was doing? I was trying to get, um, on, I was trying to get some situations with USAA. Contacting the girl and trying to get some information for her. I was talking to her on the phone and, start, and trying to relate to her. And one of the kids was over there and he kept reaching up with his claw and very gently just touching me in the side, just enough to touch and I got it. said, stop that. Leave him alone. But they, you know, when you have these little furry creatures doing that, he ran away and he stayed gone and he didn't come back. It that way. But they, uh, they are very demanding. And so I pray for my use of time because I'm easily, easily distracted. And sometimes distracted with doing things that are not important when i have things over here that are important do you understand what i'm saying so it's easy to do that and so i pray about that that's an encumbrance to, to uh, misuse time or to procrastinate things like that but also sin it says the, the, the laying aside every encumbrance and the sin so easily so easily it does doesn't it so easily entangles us. You're running a race, and you've got these weights in the sand around your feet and stuff like that, and you can't run. Get rid of the weights. Get rid of the things that hold you down. And notice one other thing. He doesn't, he doesn't. He's kind of clear in the articulation there that the race is the race that God has set before me. He didn't set your race before me. He didn't set my race before you. You have the race, you have the course, you have the pathway that God has established for you. Run that race. Be faithful to pursue that race. Get rid of the encumbrances and the sin and pursue the race, the direction, the course that God has set before you. Notice what he says next: fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. That does not mean running that race prayerfully asking Jesus to give you wisdom and direction and guidance. Now, we should do that. We should be in prayer all the time. But the way he's worded that, when he says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, what he's saying is, you want a model of knowing how to live your life, to run your race? Look at the example of Jesus. Look at the example fixing your eyes. It just used to, it doesn't say Lord Jesus Christ, it just said, Jesus. Jesus is the man in the gospels, the son of God. You see his life, you see how he functions. You want to know, we used to have braces. Uh, they, they had a big thing some time ago. What would Jesus do? And sometimes people would try to look in and say, What would Jesus do or not? and not Forget that. You want to know what Jesus was to do? Read it in the gospels. See what he would do in specific circumstances, then you can then you'll know. Follow his example. And so here he is, we're running the race. We have this race set before us. And so Paul says, Look, looks back, back to our text. He says, I have finished this course, I have finished this race, I have finished this this, uh, this, this track, if you will. And, uh, I have looked at my life and I have run this race and I have finished that. The, the, the competition is there and I want to finish well. Paul says in first Corinthians chapter nine, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. All things for the sake of the gospel, not all things for the sake of my comfort or my happiness, but for the sake of the gospel. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? I run in such a way that I may win. So if you're going to compete in this race, we're not competing with each other, but we're competing against the old flesh. If you're going to compete, Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. So that we're going to run. We want to drop the sins and the things that entangle us. We want to run a disciplined life looking unto Jesus, looking at his example. You see what I'm saying? It's just really important. We want to run in such a way, not without aim, not without beating the air, but focusing our attention on ourselves and seeking to follow him. The word finish there, one more thing there in that text, Um, It's a very good word, a word that you could, we could make a whole sermon on that. Uh, Probably make a whole sermon on almost any word, but that one in particular. Tuleo is the word. And um, according to the Bible Study Dictionary, it doesn't mean just to end, but to to complete something. Not merely to end it, but to bring something to perfection, to fulfill its destined goal, to carry it through. I buy. I try to eat a lot of food. I buy strawberries at fresh market, and I make a and cut it up and put it in a bowl and I eat them, put a little bit of sugar and uh, not sugar. I don't eat sugar, but put a little honey on it, some stevia and a little milk, milk and some cereal, and I'll do that sometimes every day. It's something quick and easy. After the day. I hate to do a lot of cooking and stuff, and it takes forever to fix something. Even do hot dogs it takes a while to do it. So, um, but when I finish the bowl and stuff like that, I push it back and I say, man, I'm finished. Good, have it done. By the way, I enjoy eating, but it's good to have it done. You can do some other stuff, but this is not what he's saying. The word "finished" here doesn't mean just having it done. It carries the idea of of fulfilling the purpose and the goal and accomplishing the intention behind what was being done. And let me give you some illustrations. I like to give illustrations of how words are used because that kind of that kind of uh, helps us to see it. Um, the first one I'll give you. Let me over First one I'll give you is in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus had been teaching the disciples, and it says this: When Jesus had finished giving instruction to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Right? Jesus. It says he had finished teaching, giving. He finished giving his instruction to his disciples. He departed from there to preach and teach. So we can look at that and we say, well, he was teaching. And he said, "Yeah, it's about time to go." Yeah, okay. All right, close the Bibles. We'll go home. And go. We're done. It doesn't. It, it's more than that. What it means is Jesus had a curriculum. He had, he had some things that he was going to say. He needed to say the things that they needed to hear. He needed to shape their minds and their hearts about certain things, and he needed them to get a certain picture of what was going on. And so he had communicated these things, and he had successfully communicated them, and it was doing the work that it was intended to do in their hearts. And so, when this had been accomplished, then he closed his Bible and went elsewhere. Do you see what I'm saying? And I'll give you an illustration of that. In the, not an illustration, but kind of a confirmation of that, in John 17, that majestic high priestly prayer uh, that um, it was Jesus' prayer to the father i want to read it to you and at least part of it and i want you to notice what jesus said jesus says in john 17 verse 6 i have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world so he's praying to the father and he says to the father i have unfolded and communicated and helped them grasp the name of the Father, who the person is, I have manifested your name to the men you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And the result is, they have kept your word. So you is successfully giving; it is successfully bearing fruit in their lives. Now he says, they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For well, the words which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them and truly they understood that i came forth from you and they have believed that you sent me so he's been working with them and they've received these words and they have, have have taken these things and put them into their digestive system so to speak their heart and it is bearing fruit i ask on their behalf i don't ask on behalf of the world But of those that you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. So this is this communication the Son has with the Father. I have been glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them who are in the world, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name. Part of this is the teaching, the curriculum, and things like that. Shepherding them. I was shepherding them. I was keeping them in your name, in which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of Perdition. so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you. These things I speak in the world, so that they they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word. The result, the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. That fact that he gave them the word, they have received it, it's been bearing fruit, It's separated them from the world. They are not of the world and the world has hated them. It's changing them. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world, sanctify them in your truth. Well, thanks. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so he goes on. He says, I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who have believed in me through their word. By the way, who's that? That's us. Because they're the ones that are going to be used to write and compose the New Testament uh, the Holy Spirit, and we're going to read that. We're going to believe through their word. Well, I'm going to stop on that. That's it. Like, he did say, "Further on now, I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which I have loved you have loved me may be in, in them, and I in them." It's just a magnificent picture that Jesus was working with his disciples. He was giving them the the curriculum that he wanted them to have, teaching them the things he wanted them to have. They received it, and that's kind of what he's saying here in Matthew eleven one. I know it's, it's taking time; it's an important word. I want us to see that. So Jesus had finished uh, giving them instruction. That word "finished" means he had completed the curriculum, the course, the thing that he wanted to give at that time, and so he departed. That's the idea of the word "finished." It's easier to see in Luke two thirty nine, where the same word is used on different occasion. This time, Mary and Joseph with the child Jesus after. And they go to after Jesus is born. They take him to the temple uh, to be circumcised, and it says in Luke two thirty nine. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city. There's was the law, the requirement of the law, the child to be circumcised, and things of this nature that had to happen in Jerusalem. And it says there when they had performed that word. They had performed is the word finished. Same word. When they had finished everything according to the law, they had completed the intention. The purpose of the law and what the law required, they had finished, then they went on back to Galilee. They had done that. Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 15 for one more. Well, I've got two more texts, but this is the good one. Revelation 15, if I can get it over here. Um, To see how it's used one more time, this is really, in my opinion, very powerful. and I wouldn't take the time, but it wasn't important. Revelation 15. We see this word finished used again in the book of Revelation. It talks about the final, last plague. You're familiar with that. You have the the the, the, uh, the Lord sitting on the throne. You have the scroll sealed with seven seals, and then you have the different uh, things that are coming out. The last thing are these bowls, seven bowls of wrath that are going to be dumped out of the earth. And Revelation. Chapter 15 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had the seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is same word. It means that these seven last plagues have a purpose, a goal, something that that they're going to fulfill in God's plan and God's work. And so when these plagues are dumped out, the wrath of God and the work of God is going to accomplish exactly what he intends to accomplish. You understand what I mean? One more verse, and I will be done with this word, and that is the Lord's words on the cross, which you probably are familiar with because we've talked about that before. John 19:30. Uh, the word is used by Jesus on the cross in 1930, when it says, the, uh, Jesus received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It doesn't just mean i'm glad like, this is over with i can walk away that doesn't mean that it means that what jesus did on the cross had a purpose a plan and it was being fulfilled and accomplished and doing exactly what he intended for it to accomplish and so when he did that he bowed his head and by the way just in passing the best way to translate that i think thomas newberry brings that out in his in his uh, newberry reference bible the best way to translate that is jesus dismissed his spirit he was it was after the the decision is finished it was like he said okay and the spirit left the body they didn't kill him he gave his life he gave his spirit he released his spirit in fact the, the i remember john in that series on the chronicles talked about how jesus cried out with a loud voice uh, even though he was uh, on the cross weak and everything he still had strength he was still strong he dismissed his spirit he gave his spirit up he released his spirit and then his body died, at least the spirit. But the point is, when Paul said, I have finished the course, he is saying, I have accomplished. Uh, I have, my life has impacted what it needs to impact. It's done what it needs to do. Uh, it has completed its purpose. I have finished what God has. And uh, the result of it is there for all. To see I have finished the course and notice please also this too is in the perfect tense which means this that while the work on the cross is complete the result of what he did what not just the work on the cross but what Paul's life Paul's um death Paul's fight and Paul's race is complete while he's ready to go um where well, he's looking at the, at the possibility of dying now, you know he's going to While wow, this is something that's going to be behind him. The result of that is lingering, lingers on. And that's, that's important to see. All right, the last one, um, I have kept the faith. Uh, faith there, we use faith to speak of, like Hebrews, uh, this belief in something you believe, you believe justification by faith. We talk about that we are saved by grace through faith. Uh, we have faith in Christ, we, we trust the, the gospel, we trust the work of Christ, and uh, we read in Romans ten seventeen that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, that if you want to increase your faith, read your Bible, it'll help you understand it, those are important things. But faith is also used to speak of the deposit of the truth of the Christian faith. It's used that way, for example, in Jude 1, verse that you probably are familiar with where Jude says, I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. It's Jude 1, 3. While I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all handed down to the saints. This is you contend earnestly for this faith, this content, this this salvation message this New Testament doctrine, contend for that, this, this truth that has been once and for all given to the saints. It's not still being given, it's being given, it's complete, we have it now in the New Testament, contend for that, hold on to that, defend it. Um, in Jude 120, he says, you're building yourselves up in your most holy faith. That's the faith, the content of the gospel, build yourselves up in that holy faith, in that, in that doctrine. Galatians says, um, Paul was now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. Paul is preaching the, the truth, the salvation message, the gospel which once he tried to destroy, but now he's preaching that. He's supporting that. Excuse that way. It's also used in Ephesians where we talked about one faith, with one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's the content of the Christian faith. And so Paul is saying here that I have kept the faith, I have kept the doctrine, I have kept the truth. The word kept there is a good word as well. Uh, It does carry the idea of being faithful. Um, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He uses that word and uh, it has that idea that um, you will fulfill, you will obey my commandments um john 14 he uses the same thing he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me um but it also carries with it and is used quite a bit the idea of guarding not just keeping but protecting and guarding over it and i'll give you a couple of verses uh that, that relate to that in matthew chapter 27 um jesus Uh, is on the cross, and it says there's a centurion around that was kind of overseeing things and uses this kind of language as a meaning or usage of that word keep. It says, Now the centurion and those who are with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. In that verse Matthew 27 54 the English translation of the English words who were with him keeping guard over are all translation of that one Greek word keep you could translate that accurately now the centurion and those who keep Jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening it just means that the word keep does mean Guard, watch over. In Acts 12, 5 and 6, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made for privately by the church. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the guards in front of the door were watching over the prisoner. It says Peter at the beginning, So Peter was kept in prison. That's the word. He was being guarded in prison, the idea guard there and it was a real difficulty when the next day when he was gone and they were looking for him and couldn't find him. In Matthew 28 it says the guards keeping watch over the tomb, the guards shook for fear of him because and became like dead men. Guards is the phrase, you could translate that, the keepers shook for fear of him. They, the translators put guards because that's who they were. But the idea comes from the word, the keepers, the, the keep. And that's the idea here. And so um, one more verse, First John 5, 18. We know, that no, we know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him. He who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. That just simply was a way of saying that God keeps his children, watches over them, protects them. So Paul is saying here. In, this, in, these, in these verses, there, that he is, he is one that has been entrusted with the gospel, and he guards him, and he watches over him, and he he is careful to um, to guard the doctrine, not to let it go, to protect it, to see that it's protected, to see that it's it's not abused or whatever. So let me read that verse to you now. These three things, remember that these are all. Truths that not only occurred in Paul's life and his assessment of his life, but they are also things that should be true of our lives. He said, uh, I have fought a good fight, I have contested a good fight, I have finished the race or the course, I have kept the faith. We want to do that too, though. We We want our lives to be described as one who has contested successfully a good quality. Christ-honoring life, we want to be those who have stayed on the course and followed the course and not detoured all the race that is set before us, and we want to be those who have guarded and kept the faith that things have been entrusted to us because they are eternally important. That's how Paul assesses his life. He was a good example. What about you? What about me? That's an important question. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this life, this man sitting in prison, chained, abandoned by those who, by many of those who knew him. I don't know that they necessarily would just deliberately try to scorn him, but they had other things to do. And that they were too busy and didn't want to face the possible harassment of being associated with one who was probably going to die, was certainly going to die. So we look at him and we, so thankful to you for this man of god one of the greatest men who ever lived being treated like a criminal because of his faithfulness to you i pray that you will help us to be faithful with the things that you've entrusted to us help me to be faithful with those things we're talking about the use of time we're talking about other things procrastination is an issue that i guess i know i face i guess all of us do to some degree it's important Help us to be faithful with the things that you've entrusted to us. Help us to to be committed to serving you and living for you and honoring you no matter what. And I thank you for the life of Paul and for his example to us. And I pray that you would help us to emulate him. And I pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.